Hey there, this is Cole cutting in for a short little admin section at the start. Um, since we are beginning a new book in the series, I would like to welcome anybody new uh, who may be tuning in for the first time to hear about The Wastelands. Welcome. This is a good book. We're really excited about it. Uh, and for people who are new or for people who may have forgotten, I want to reiterate the spoiler policy. In general, we will try not to spoil things um, before they happen. Um, this means that if something uh, is going to happen later in the book, momentous huge things, we're not going to talk about it cavalierly. Um, instead, what may happen is there will be oblique references, um, especially in regards to like, hey, if there is a notable detail right now that may pay off later, we will underline it and say, yeah, this the, the, this is going to be important. That bothers some people. Uh, it may not bother you, but I want to make sure that it is clear. Um, I don't want to delay this anymore. Um, so let us get ready and go. Uh, talk about this good, good book. Welcome to Radio Free Midworld, a podcast about the Dark Tower series of books. My name is Cole Ross, and I am your host. And today I'm joined by Autumn Greer. Delighted to be here as always. And by Evan Jones Thorne. Even more delighted than Autumn. <laughs> okay, let's make it a contest. Yeah, we're, we're we're back together again after after having way too much fun talking about Rose Matter uh, oh, during man. the uh, during the season break. Hopefully, this session doesn't go three hours like that one did. It might that might be a, a, a little much, but we're here, um, and I can barely contain my enthusiasm because we are beginning the third book in the series, uh, The Wastelands, which came out in 1991. Uh, four years after the uh, the previous book. Yeah, this this book makes me so happy that I didn't start reading these until after they had all been published because I can't imagine going 4 years from the end of Drawing of the 3 to <laughs> find out what happened next. Yeah, or 6 between this and and Wizard and Glass. <laughs> yeah, I think uh but you but definitely with uh with the drawing of the three they introduced these new characters and like i was desperately excited to see all of them interact with each other um you know with without all of them die you know being in the process of dying very slowly or very quickly um autumn did you read this around the time it came out like were you were you on that wait waiting train you know, I, I probably read the first three books when I was, I was probably about 19 or 20. Um, and then I had that long wait that you were talking about for yeah. Wizard and Glass. But I, hands down, uh, I, you know, I know on the, the Slack channel, there's a, a large contingent uh, that is a big fan of Wizard and Glass. But for me, it does not get any better than The Wastelands. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the whole series is a wonderful ride, but The Wastelands is the pinnacle for me. It is just, it's my favorite book, hands down. Yeah, it's um like all of the pieces are in place now, or at least most of them are by about halfway through the book. Um, and like the back half of the wastelands is this just really kind of tight action story. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, man, I love it so much. Yeah, I I think I said that uh, the drawing of the three was my favorite, and I'm going to go on record as uh, retracting that because <laughs> I I think that I just got carried away with. Um, just enthusiasm at rereading the series because I mm. love the gunslinger. I love the drawing of the three, but there's all this stuff that happens in the wastelands that I forgot was not in drawing of the three. Oh yeah. 
like the entire first half of the wastelands basically oh yeah yeah um <laughs> and like the whole first half that we're talking about today is so good in terms of exposition and the entire second half is such a good action sequence or sequence of sequences uh it's uh it's the payoff right it's the payoff to having everybody uh under one umbrella under one quartet right yeah yeah and and for for me as well I, you know there's a book later in the series called song of susanna this book is really the song of eddie like you really <laughs> fall in love with eddie in this book oh yeah if you weren't already on team eddie uh from uh for, for, from the drawing of the three if yeah. you weren't already on Team Eddie, don't fucking talk to me. <laughs> don't even don't, don't, do not do not darken my door. Uh, yeah. Like, the, but seriously, like this this is definitely where Eddie's character, like, so much character development happens in such a short amount of time. Oh yeah, yeah. As and he, it's, uh, it's so cool as he tries to establish his role in the group. Uh, because mm -hmm. I mean, we're going to find out, but Susanna is a much more, uh, a much more apt pupil eh? when it comes to actually slinging guns, right. When it comes to actual yeah. combat. So like him figuring out what his, what his role in is, a is, is, is a huge through line through this and getting out from under, you know, just the, his, 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 his terrible childhood with Henry, like that is, that extends into this book as well. Yeah. Um, so this book has a subtitle, like all the other ones did. Uh, this is Redemption, um, and that'll uh, kind of, I think that is pointing a little bit towards what happens toward the middle of the book. Um, uh, this, like a lot of Stephen King books, is divided into kind of two volumes. Uh, the first is called Jake, or, F or Fear in a Handful of Dust. Uh, and the last one is called Lud, A Heap of Broken Images. Um, and uh, they are definitely distinct stories. You know, the first half is uh, kind of getting everybody together, and the second half is them being on their way to the tower. Um, it, so the book opens up with some lines from T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland, um, but that is pretty much the only resemblance, aside from, like, some very loose themes and imagery, unless either of you uh, noticed stuff that I did not. No, it, it has a – this book has about as much to do with T.S. Eliot as uh, the the series as a whole has to do with Child Roll into the Dark Tower came. Yeah. I thought you were about to say it has as much to do with T.S. Eliot as the TSA. Um, and <laughs> No, that would have been a much better goof. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm not, I'm not workshopping you, but that's – my my brain autocorrected what you were about to say and anticipated it. No, that's really good, and I'm kind of mad at myself. <laughs> no, you shouldn't be mad. You shouldn't. I, I was, I was a jerk for coming in and swooping and punching you up. Um, but uh, continue. Uh, no, it's like I, I, I absolutely adore T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. It's um, I, I, I took a modern and postmodern poetry class in college, and like totally leaned into the snobbery of that sort of thing for a while. But um, yeah, what I took away from it after I kind of got out of that whole interminable, intolerable mindset <laughs> was um, just T.S. Like the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock and the wasteland are two of the most incredible things I've ever like dug oh, yeah. into before. Yeah. I, I think that any, any like soft spoken person who's afraid of conflict will cite uh, the love song of J. Of J. Alfred Prufrock as like a defining text <laughs> for them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Did it resonate for you, Autumn? Oh my gosh! If you look at my my high school journal, I've got big excerpts of it written everywhere. Like you, you know, like it is absolutely um, 
Everybody mm-hmm. loves T.S. Eliot. Yeah, I grow old. I grow old. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, hey, he, he's got those ragged claws, right? Just like oh. our lobstracities. Oh, there we go. Oh, <laughs> full circle. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, the the connection is very loose, and the, the, they are talking about a very different kind of wasteland than you know T.S. Eliot kind of laid out. Um, if you want to know what happened prior to this, go ahead and listen to the entire season. But just understand that the drawing of the three involved uh, kind of introducing two important new characters, Eddie Dean, uh, who's kind of a fast-talking um, heroin addict from Brooklyn, um, and uh, Susanna Dean, um, uh, formerly Odetta Holmes or Odetta Walker, a person with multiple personalities who kind of turned into Susanna uh, when they fused together. Um, They also had this whole plot about dealing with the person who killed Jake Chambers, the uh, the uh, young boy from the first book in the series. But now they are all, you know, together at the, uh, you know, after having traversed the uh, the shore of the Western Sea. Um, and they have a little bit of room for some peace and training. Uh, it's like a it's like a fun little montage of them getting together and sewing up new clothes and making gunslinger burritos. You know, if you as for anybody that maybe wasn't loving the series, this would be the perfect spot to quit. Right. Like, OK, <laughs> well, you know, he drew some people. They're hanging out. They're learning to shoot like it. This is it doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> like, It's the happiest time in the entire series. Yep. Uh, except yeah. one of them is going nuts. <laughs> Small details. Small okay, details. small details. Uh, Evan? <laughs> I mean, Ro- Roland's kind of been a little bit of a dick up to this point anyway. So, yeah. you know, depending on your feelings on Roland, you can just read up through uh, the midpoint of this book and call it a day and oh. you might walk away happy. Yeah, and then uh, and, and then like Shane, they rode off into the sunset, uh, except they didn't leave the kid behind. They they, they brought him with them. Spoilers. Um <laughs> Yeah, um, but it is, you know, like, it, it's it's good to see Roland kind of becoming the teacher, living into his role as the Din, you know, training Susanna um, for the first time with live rounds. Like, uh, he, he's he's a little bit like a cheap driving instructor who just has people hold the paper plate instead of actually driving the car. <laughs> like, oh, we're not going to waste shells having you fire them off. I can actually tell how well you're doing just by watching you dry fire uh, these things, right? Which, uh, okay. Yes, Roland is a competence elemental, so fine. Um, but like for the moment, you, you're absolutely right on him. He is happy, like he is smiling. There's a line: "The gunslinger smiled. Uh, he had done more smiling in these last five weeks uh, than he had done in the five years uh, that had come before them." But he's still a, a kind of a dick to Susanna. What do you think of his uh, his move, uh, <laughs> provoking like a like a flashback? Uh, to her treatment in uh, Oxford Town uh, in order to get her to shoot well. I mean, kind of going back to what I had mentioned in, uh, I guess it was in the, when we were talking about Rose Matter, I I just get so stuck whenever Stephen King writes dialogue for a black character. Yeah. And like, like Roland's, there's a lot to to talk about in in terms of Roland's methods, and I would like to do that, but it's just it, it has as many times as I read these books, as much as I love these books, it never gets any less. You're you're trying not to say problematic, so we so we don't uh, trip the trip the censors as. 
SJW cocks, <laughs> but I, I I know that's a little bit what you're saying. No, like even like problematic isn't even necessarily it because it's not it 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 isn't like in any way overtly disrespectful. It's just uncomfortable because it's so white person perception of how a stereotypical black person might talk. Yeah. And, and and while that was a character quirk for Detta, um, it becomes I'm I'm generally okay with her slipping into, um, you know, like just a like like putting on the Detta hat uh, at certain moments, you know, because like oh, she's, she, she, yeah. she, she's she's still in there, um, but the like the, that quickly that quickly wears out its welcome um, to a certain extent. Because they, uh, you know, b- b- because like that isn't her thing anymore. Like she is, you know, she is not that person entirely. Right. Yeah. And it like I, I found myself like that my my maybe my only complaint with this section of the series is um, and, you know, it's it's been a while since I've read it. And so I'm 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 sure it'll come back. But at this point, it I'm I found that whenever king would try to throw some of that in it would just totally take me out of the narrative and i really wish that he had just written Susanna's dialogue as like regular dialogue yeah as a with without uh like a certain kind of like a patois around it right yeah 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 like let us let us kind of come up with our own voice for the characters the way that you're doing with all the others right right um, there's a there's a wonderful um, onion piece that was it's like a like like a like a Q and A like oh ask a blank and it's ask a, a, an old black woman written by a high school fresh or written by a college freshman. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's it's almost exactly what we're talking about like i i kind of don't even want to like pull lines from it and say like and give an example but like just under understand that like that is <laughs> that is a little bit of what's happening yeah i, I, I think even when i read this originally uh, that the whole tone of it strikes me as wrong as well, because if you're trying to get somebody to focus, I mean, it's the thing to do the first time they're firing with firing with live rounds to get them all hepped up about one of the most traumatic experiences of their life. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, just to get like, th- that doesn't get me in the zone thinking about the worst moments of my life, like, uh, uh, like getting her angry or what he was trying to do. I, 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 I've always been a, a little bit perplexed by it. Yeah, yeah. Well, like he, he he explains like, oh, I needed to get you to bite because you know a, a gunslinger d- that doesn't bite is dead or something like that. Um, it, yeah, it is it is a little jarring, and she rightfully calls him out, you know, calls him out on it, saying like, hey, you promised you wouldn't hit me, um, you know, like Court did because we're all, you know we're all adults here, um, but you have to understand that what you did was even worse than slapping me, you know, like it is it's... it is totally not cool. It's very yeah. strange uh, com- coming off of having just read Rose Matter to read all the biting language that was in the beginning of this book, like <laughs> yeah. about, you know, what wasn't he or she only a human hawk trained to bite on command and then mm-hmm. this putting a stick in a dog's teeth. I mean, it's it's a real bitey section of the book. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, get, 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 uh, this section of the book, one of those Hannibal Lecter mouth, mouth guard mask <laughs> things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I. I don't know. Like I, I always kind of thought that this, 
that entire section, like dialogue choices aside, was was pretty great because it shows how dedicated Roland is and and to what lengths he will go to get results. Mm -hmm. And it, it shows like how deep his understanding of these people goes. Like yeah. he doesn't know anything about their worlds. He doesn't really know anything about their lives, but he can pick out the details from the stories they've told that will cut right to the center of them. Yeah. And he can use them and he is unscrupulous about using them when it, he needs to. And that's such a major character trait for Roland. Yeah. And then Susanna calling him out on it is that that's a very Susanna moment. And mm -hmm. j just that whole exchange, like, as the series unfolds, like that dynamic that is shown in that scene is kind of a perfect encapsulation of their relationship. Yeah, yeah. Like Susanna is kind of always a little bit the voice of reason, even in a way that Eddie is not. Um, Eddie sometimes, you know, is like the funny guy and he speaks almost entirely uh, kind of in jest, you know, or in outsized, you know, like, like metaphor or uh, colloquialism. It's 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 Cuthbert and Elaine. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Like it's, and when when we get to Wizard and Glass, like that's, you, it's it's very apparent. Mm -hmm. Like the the parallels there. Yeah, you know, it's it's not that she is right more often than Eddie is. Um, it's that she is more direct in you know kind of like expressing herself and getting it out there, whereas Eddie is more of a uh, more of a scattershot. Um, kind of, uh, you know, it, it like takes that kind of approach to solving interpersonal problems or, you know, as we're going to see throughout the, this entire book, um, the real problems that stand between them and the tower. Yeah. Well, to, to be fair, she actually is right a lot more often than Eddie is, <laughs> but Eddie has, what, Eddie has some of those moments <laughs> where like, like he will, he, he will cut through the bullshit and seem out there, but actually be right on the money for it. He's, uh, he's, he's definitely, hey, uh, you good. I'm just thinking of Eddie um, when even even Susanna was saying, don't give me the gun. And he's like, I'm going to give you the gun uh, back in the last book. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was in puppy love, though, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but she managed to, uh, to hit all five of or hit a, hit all six of these little pieces of rock. Um, Eddie, meanwhile, is back at their at their camp practicing his own skill. You know, Roland actually didn't mind him missing the lesson because I think there's a line in here that says like, oh, the best lessons are the ones that are self-taught. Um, and we get this, I don't know, kind of like quaint uh, kind of section talking about Eddie picking up whittling again. Um, and that quickly turns into something that's a little bit heartbreaking, uh, talking about his history with never wanting to be good at things because that would cause Henry to come down on him because Henry is insecure. Henry, again, is the uh, is, is the you know, Eddie's older brother who was charged with protecting him after the death of their older sister um, and the one who ultimately, you know, led Eddie you know, on the road to heroin addiction. Right. Henry has never been a great influence on Eddie. I, this was probably what my favorite part in the section that we're covering because uh, that insight into why Eddie was so led astray by Henry, obviously mm -hmm. since Eddie's a pretty smart guy, it, it just um, – and, and I'm an only child, so I'm always fascinated by anything involving siblings. <laughs> I, I am an older brother, and uh, my 
my younger brother is six years younger and um our our relationship has always been kind of i guess not a typical sibling relationship because of it the the age difference mm-hmm. but um the the entire notion of the the entire notion behind Henry's character has always kind of made me just furious in a base sort of way that I can't really articulate because you know I'm I'm not a huge believer that like you have to you are obligated to love your family mm-hmm. like you know it's it's good if you do but if they suck then you shouldn't uh, but you should not actively destroy your family right you should not be the one doing that and uh and and so just the the entire section of this book where henry kind or where eddie kind of breaks free of henry's specter i guess or influence has always just been one of those like like fist pump (laughs) awesome good good feeling moments um I could have articulated that so much better in so <laughs> no, many different ways. No, no, it's it, it, it's it's perfectly fine. Like, it, like Henry Sill is very much a present. Like, this is both both the drawing of the three and this book are marked by um, you know kind of these intrusions into people's thoughts. Like among the quartet, they start developing this kind of telepathy. Right, they've got a touch of the shine. You know, um, <laughs> or or the, uh, the 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 touch rather, I guess is what it's called in, in this series. Um, but um, uh, with Eddie, the way that uh, Henry's presence is reflected is like he will be attempting to do something and then, you know, he he will imagine Henry reacting to whatever he's doing down to like when he starts whittling like, oh, are you, you know, whittling an, an itty bitty piss pot for your for for your itty bitty dick or something like that? Like just real like base juvenile, you know, just, you can imagine him just like punching him on the on the side of the head. Uh, while he says that, you know, as they, you know, as he takes his Capri Sun or whatever. Um, and this even manifests in the way that Eddie, like, you know, re- relates uh, his enthusiasm for this to everybody else. Like, he hides it. Like, when he starts doing it, when he starts, like, going and finding pieces of wood, he's incredibly talented at this. He sees, right? Like, you know, he sees the form of whatever he is going to release in this, uh, in, in these pieces of wood before he, before he even starts it. Um, which, weirdly enough, that mirrors the way that Stephen King uh, writes. You know, he talks about it as an act of discovery, where the story is, you know hidden inside of, you know, a a chunk of dirt or a chunk of rock or whatever, and he just goes in and exposes the pieces that need exposed, right? So there is a little bit of a creative parallel to that. But he is incredibly insecure himself. This is transferred down to where when Susanna asks him, like, hey, what um, (laughs) what are you doing? He's like, oh, I just figured I'd do this thing. It's kind of stupid. I'm not even very good. Like, instantly demurring around it in a way that is pretty heartbreaking, especially when you're going back to this and looking at it and recognizing that, like, this ability is something that saves the day for them in this book roland really is so lucky with the group of people that they drew i mean i know it's caught work and everything but i mean to to draw to to draw two people that are born gunslingers Mm -hmm. i mean he's so lucky he didn't get me you know (laughs) i'm just be complaining about the bug bites stop but 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 I mean, I mean, surely like at Gunslinger College, they need somebody to work in the library, right? Mm-hmm. Or like at the Cinnabon, like the Gilead Cinnabon, like <laughs> yeah. I could probably work there. But, well, but yeah, I, but but look what happened to Hacks. 
Yep. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, falling with Farson. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Everybody likes Cinnabon. I'm sure John Farson likes Cinnabon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, his his love of Cinnabon would actually make him, you know what? We've said Cinnabon too many times and it's lost all meaning to me now. Yeah. Also, I'm pretty <laughs> sure if we say it one more time, you guys are going to have to start paying a licensing fee. Oh, no. We're like, we will have technically bought a franchise. Like, we wouldn't have to pay royalties. <laughs> like, we would have to shell out tens of thousands of dollars to set up a mall kiosk. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I guess worse wow. things could happen. It's a, it's a it's a it's a profitable business. They seem to be doing okay. <laughs> I just don't have the I, I, don't have the bandwidth gonna, right now. <laughs> it's gonna look pretty but pretty bad when like um pretty much all the local meets and meets in the Slack channel like um it's gonna be you know just Cinnabon. All the meetups <laughs> are at Cinnabon. Hey, did you hear about that podcast network that turned out to be a Cinnabon pyramid scheme? <laughs> <laughs> it's the ultimate in viral marketing. Yeah. Uh, we can't say we can't say the c word anymore, or else we will actually have bought the franchise. <laughs> but yeah, like you know, it it, it is it is cod work. Um, it's uh, it is narrative convenience, and that is something that's going to start in this book. Um, even though we were introduced to this idea before, it's going to start in the book and be a really heavy hand on the events uh, going forward. And that's something that we're just going to have to be okay with. I, I don't think that it is. Uh, the most elegant way to handle some of the narrative problems that are solved by it. Uh, however, it, it, it definitely is expedient. But this relative piece is uh, broken uh, by very loud sounds. Um, throughout these early scenes, we actually get uh, uh, Roland's point of view on these um, things that are wrong with the forest that they're in. You know, uh, there, there are these crows that seem to be, you know, agitated when there's nothing else going on. He's finding these artifacts uh, from people who are no longer there. Um, and he's also noticing that this is a forest that seems to have never burned, which is rare for a forest this big uh, and this lush. And we're going to find out what happens um <laughs> after we get this uh chapter segment told from a large bear's point of view uh this is our good friend mir or the world below uh who is a gigantic bear uh who happens to be sneezing worms he is dying going crazy um and uh he happens to have uh protected this forest from the old people um in the old days and, I thought you were going to say he happens to have a satellite dish growing out of the top of his head. Ah, uh, yeah, which is also true. <laughs> which is which is also a defining a defining characteristic of this particular creature. Man, you know what? I think that the reason that the wastelands might might get my vote for for best Dark Tower book is how many others have a giant robot bear. And also opens with a giant robot bear in the first 30 pages. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely when I read this, like, that was a, that was a, a holy shit moment. This whole sequence yeah. where they're, where they're dealing with this, um, you know, a living vestige of this old technological world um, that, uh, you know, is dangerous and mad and crazy. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of the first time it pops up. Go ahead, Autumn. You know, I hadn't pulled it out or noticed it until you said that about the forest having not burned. Is this a Smokey the Bear thing? Like, is Mir the only one that burned forest fires? Is that is that what it is? Yeah, he lost his hat. His uh, his trooper's hat or ranger's hat actually used to protect the <laughs> pr pr protect the satellite dish. But yeah, like it, 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 it only Mir. 
<laughs> it talks about him like going around like and, you know in addition to keeping people away like going around and knocking over dead trees you know so they would uh so, you know so they wouldn't you know stay up and burn right just like acting as this kind of warden for the for the forest itself right <laughs> and and also issuing psas because of course yeah <laughs> smoky the bear and mcgruff the crime dog i always wanted that crossover video but it never happened Oh, if if McGruff the crime dog is a guardian of a beam, I'm gonna love it. <laughs> and again, oh, I, I have to go back to the list of the guardians to make sure that one of them isn't a dog, because all I know is. <laughs> Man, I gotta rewatch the trailer. Speaking of which, we we need to talk about the trailer. Let's uh, uh, before let's, we end this episode. Yes, let's talk about it after the uh, after the credits music, uh, because I want to keep yeah. the main body of the episode. Uh, uh, let's say evergreen. Um, but yeah, it, it would be worth talking about because Autumn, I, you, have you seen it as well? Oh yes. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So that is a teaser for after the uh, after the credits music. So stick around. Um, but uh, continue. You're talking about the Guardians, Evan. Um, yeah, I I would really I, I have every time I read these books, I get so just enthralled by the entire notion of. North Central Posit North Central Posit Positronics? Yes, Positronics. Positronics. Um and, and and every time I read the books, I come away with an idea of what it was, and every time I start rereading, I lose it and I, I'm kind of starting from scratch again. I don't know why. It's one of those things that just doesn't stick in my brain. And I'm always like what the fuck is their deal? What's going on with this shit? Um, because it's it's so strange and it's so like you know this feels kind of dumb now that I'm saying it out loud, but it feels so otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And uh, just yeah. just the notion of yeah, this is skipping ahead slightly, but the the like the identification plate on the bear. Mm-hmm. It's like oh you know like model shardic species bear like were these fucking mass produced like what's what what is what is even what you know people have been complaining that apple has lost their ability to innovate and maybe they'll go into the eye bear industry you know (laughs) just just giant 20 foot tall bears yeah um we 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 talked about uh, in one of the early episodes that sombra um, app that was released. I'm not talking about the Overwatch character, that uh, weird little AR thing that it, I didn't pan out. Like I tried using it and it didn't work. Uh, so there's a little yeah. bit of intersection there. Um, I really hope that, like, I, I love the idea of Sombra and North Central Positronics being represented in our, in our world as like a uh, a tech bro kind of place. Yeah, I, I hope that they uh, they kind of revive that app now that um, like the actual the movie has an actual release date and there's actual yeah, like, promotional yeah. materials that exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that, oh, that'd be the <laughs> idea behind that app is so cool. If you're a nerd. Yeah. Well, of course, I mean, it's, it's, it's like any uh, ARG or uh, AR thing. Oh gosh, way too many acronyms. <laughs> uh, but this bear is mad as shit that people are still around and he roars getting uh, Susanna and Roland's attention. Um, and Eddie only notices when he hears uh, the gunshots as they're approaching, um and <laughs> Eddie freaked out. He's just sitting there whittling. Sees an eight, an eighteen foot tall bear shambling toward him, and decides I cannot run this. So he climbs a tree, uh, which 
you know, it's been a while since I've been in Boy Scouts. Isn't that a terrible idea? Because bears can climb. I get so confused. I don't know if I'm supposed to throw my backpack on the ground, curl in a ball, look big. Uh, There's so many different animals out there. It's hard to keep it straight. (laughs) Is the bear flammable or inflammable? (laughs) Okay, so if the red bear is touching the yellow bear, uh, that is fine. But if the red bear is touching the black bear, then... Uh, I don't oh, it, it'll kill a fella yeah it will <laughs> it'll kill. um yeah if it's uh if it's bitter and brown you're in cider town um yeah we just <laughs> we just mixed up about 17 different things um <laughs> but eddie decides to climb up putting putting himself at face level uh with the bear who then promptly uh <laughs> sneezes worms all over eddie yeah it's like it's like he got this... sprayed with a gack gun on double oh. dare the, I I would have my, died what, right there. Oh, oh yeah. I, I mean, like I would I would have let go of the tree. Like the the near automata like thing would be like a, a machine got worm sprayed on it and fell out of a tree. Like that would be my my like my little death script, you know? Yeah, but I would just I would I would throw up a timeout signal to the bear. I would go and dig my own grave and hop in it and then cover myself up. I am dead now. <laughs> I would walk to the cemetery. Yeah, time, when, time to time to just lay down and let nature take its course. I'm yeah. covered in worms. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, my grandparents live on a 70 acre farm in the middle of nowhere in um, Oak Harbor, Ohio. Okay, uh, Cole, I don't know if you know where that's at, but the biggest town close to it is Port Clinton. Okay, yeah. Whose claim to fame is they have a boat that'll take you to Put in Bay whose biggest claim to fame is that they used to be a hot tourist attraction like 30, 40 years ago. Uh, put put in bay is one of the, uh, like that, that, that is the site, um, of a, uh, of, of a relatively notable, um, naval battle, um, in the great oh, lakes. Yeah. yeah. No, there's, there's a ton of history around it, but <laughs> it's as far as like current relevance, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's still a nice place to go. You go up there and you rent some bikes and you take the ferry out right. to it. But, um, <laughs> but like that's, and, and, that's and, where my family's this from. Ohio yeah, and, and this Ohio Fact Hour is sponsored by Cinnabon. <laughs> oh no, I have to buy the franchise now. I've got, uh, I've got to defend my home state. You know, it's 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 not all I got. No, That's my, a lie. My whole family's from like my parents. I'm I'm first generation Illinoisan. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Uh, my my parents moved from Ohio. <laughs> um, but, uh, but 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 Oak Harbor near Portland. Okay. Yeah, my grandparents still live on like a seventy acre farm in the middle of nowhere, far away from everything. And so whenever we'd go visit them, like, you know, we'd stay with them because the closest hotel is, I think, literally 30 miles away. Right, right. Um, And when I was a kid, it was great. You know, you're staying over at your grandparents' house. Like, I had my own room there, sort of. Uh, But one year, um, coincidentally, the year that I was reading this book, the bush right outside my grandparents' Uh, front bedroom where I was staying right outside the window, this gigantic uh, like evergreen looking bush had become infested with army worms. I don't know if you have ever seen those, but uh, they don't sound pleasant. It, it, they're called army worms because they, they like hold on with half their body and then like wiggle the other half around to like, leaves or something i'm not totally sure what okay. they're doing but um, like they, they turn into pretty upsetting looking moths as well yeah they uh-huh. do and and like like thousands of them right outside my window 
Yeah, no, that's not and, that's not good. And I like to read before I go to sleep, and so like that was just this like horrific sight. And then I would it's like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm just gonna read and forget about this. Oh shit, bear sneezing worms. <laughs> yep. <laughs> God nope. damn it. Yeah. It's it's broken in. There's no escape. <laughs> so this. This entire section still makes my skin crawl. Like every time it references that, like I, I just get like, ah, yeah. it is unpleasant. Autumn, with your phobia of things rushing at your face, how do you feel about this turn of events? <laughs> you know, you know, the 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 only thing that redeemed this terrifying worm chapter for me is um, the moment when. <laughs> Was was the moment when um, I, I, I'm proud of Eddie for for hanging on. That's something that I could not do. Um, they would have had to end the content right there. But um, <laughs> when when Roland and Susanna hear the bear and they start to run to Eddie, do, do you guys remember the part where Roland just picks Susanna up and just pops her on his shoulders and like one movement and starts wind sprinting? Yep. <laughs> like. Roland must have been amazing in like a, like a playing chicken in like a pool party in Gilead oh, yeah. or something, you know? Yeah, un- like, un- I definitely unbeatable. want him to be my partner. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd love to hop up on his shoulders and be like, okay, let's take these people on. It's a yeah. Gilead yeah, because, pool party. <laughs> because Roland totally seems like the kind of guy who'd be a riot at a pool party. <laughs> <laughs> he would just be marveling at all of the water. <laughs> no, Roland, don't drink it. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. You, you guys got any got any Pepsi? <laughs> any Aston? Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> this is kind of where we where we leave the scene, not leave the scene, but like the kind of the height of it, with Eddie clinging to the very top of the tree as the as the bear is shaking it uh, side to side, as though it is a metronome, uh, is the comparison that they make, uh, which is a little ridiculous to think about that. As Roland and Eddie roll up and. Roland decides, hey, this is a teachable moment, but also I am way too sick and crazy to fire these guns because stress uh, makes me feel like I am two people, t- uh, two brains sharing a head. Um, getting a getting a peek of what's happening here, but he's having a he's having a fit or a spell, which this makes the second book where Roland is infirm and dying, and it's not going to be the last, actually. <laughs> Roland is never at the top of his game, um, but uh, Susanna shoots this bear in the ass, uh, and uh, and then clings and, and then uh, pings off the uh, the thinking cap, the, the 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 satellite dish, causing this bear to wind around and fall down like he's an enemy combatant and punch out. Thump. <laughs> 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 you know, we had touched on this briefly, but I loved that bear point of view section. Like, it just reminded me of Cujo a little bit. Like, oh, God, the bees, the bees in my head. I mean, that was one angry bear. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, and there's a sense of, um, you know, something that we talk about when we talk about the Dark Souls games. Um, sorry, Adam. Uh, is um, is this the, the, this notion that, like, an effective design for something, for something big and scary like this is not to make it just completely fearsome, but to give it kind of a sad dignity. Like, Shardik used to be this marvel of technology, a, a guardian protector of this forest. But, you know, because of some microbe that he that, that, that he ate, you know, as the world has moved on, you know, he is infested. He he might as well be just a bunch of worms, you know, wearing a bearskin suit uh, at this point. Oh, and, God. And he is, you know, as, as, as mad as a, as, as a thinking hatter. 
um and, and charging at them and you get a you, you just get this small little like it's it's a little bit out of nowhere and it doesn't really happen elsewhere in this particular book but yeah it's a like it's it's pretty effective to like get that bit of history mixed with his own perspective I, I liked it when he was thinking to himself about how back in the day, you know, 2000 years ago, he would only kill women and children and he would leave the warriors like just to humiliate them. Because, yeah. I mean, this, this bear is a dick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not a good guy. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, he's, he's he's gone above and beyond uh, in terms of in terms of being an asshole about this. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> he, he he is not so discerning anymore. Um, he just sneezes and worms on everybody. Um so there's a couple of revelations about about this bear as it's uh, as it's fallen down. Um, Roland has recognized this from his legends and kind of let slip something like, oh, you know, uh, if you had lived two or three thousand years, you'd be one crazy mother, too. Um, so this is a very, very old bear. And also, Evan, like you said, um, <laughs> they find a plate that is stamped on its back leg, uh, revealing that this is, you know, uh, a, a product of the North Central Positronics Company, uh, and its code name is Shardik, uh, which is the name of a, uh, um, oh gosh, a Richard Adams book, uh, Richard Adams being the same person who wrote uh, Watership Down. Um, and so uh, this is a nuclear-powered cyborg. When Roland rips out one of the bear's eyes uh, to reveal all the chips and stuff inside, Eddie remarks, oh, it's not a bear. It's a fucking Sony Walkman. <laughs> Maybe I had it wrong was saying that it was going to be Apple. Maybe like Sony is taking that, you know, what were those robot dogs they made? Those Ibos? Oh, yeah, Maybe yeah. Maybe that was phase one of their their cyborg bear project, right? <laughs> yep, the cyborg. Mm. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, the, 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 this is going places. Okay, so TM, TM, TM. Sony, if you want this technology, come to us first. Fuck. You're already making the movie, Sony. You have this. You have access to it, Sony. We can't stop you, Sony. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, like this is a bizarre. And I think, and Evan, I think that what you said about this being otherworldly, I mean, obviously, this is a book about an alter, alternate dimension of sorts but it is weird because this does feel like something that is out of place in this medieval world that has been reclaimed by nature right it's uh it's still one foot in one foot out you know it is as out of place and bizarre as the uh um the atomic powered water pump that we saw in the revised version of the gunslinger uh but is incredibly outsized and goofy one would say <laughs> and that one would be me. Like I just, I think this is this is so goofy, and it gets it gets pretty big style points, right? And it's justified in the narrative, um, as we're going to see. A lot of stuff is justified in the narrative uh, by these uh, by these palavers that uh, that Roland has with them as he explains uh, kind of what's going on. Maybe that's why I like this book so much. Is the first two? I mean, if, if you overlook the part about you know doors on the beach and drawing people from other universes i mean they, they, they seem to make a little sense uh, the wastelands just gets out the box crazy <laughs> i mean you know we, we move from a very plausible new york city um in different timelines to hey look it's a giant bear here you go yeah <laughs> why not it, it, de it declares its intention right away and especially uh, like with the the rest of the book and future episodes and everything, I mean, it, it just gets cool and fun and weird. Yeah, Evan, do you have any thoughts on the revelation of Shardik as a cyborg? 
not not really like you you guys kind of covered it like it's 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 very strange it's very kind of uh at odds with what you've been set up to expect from this world but at the same time it's like i i always kind of had like an oh yeah i could see that sort of feeling yeah (laughs) (laughs) so um let's talk about what's behind this right because we're going to get a little bit of a lesson in the cosmology like stephen king has had time you know over the course of the decades that he's been you know developing this and working on it and not working on it to decide a little bit how this world works um and a great deal of the rest of this chapter is roland kind of being um, kind of a conduit for some of this exposition about, you know, you know, again, this world about the, about this cosmology, right? Um, and everything is set up around like Roland is sick, like he takes two steps and then he collapses, repeating, "There was a boy, there wasn't a boy," and saying, "Go then, there are other worlds than these," and they can't really do much of anything <laughs> until, you know, he gets his stuff together. So we get this half history lesson half kind of speculation jam <laughs> about uh about what might be going on with with, with where they're at I'm gonna skip over the discussion of uh of, of the stars um old star and old mother like the navigation points like that's just a little fable um that is there is there anything important in that that i'm not that i'm not seeing or is that just world building i think i've always kind of thought it's just world building yeah I'll, yeah yeah I, oh, I was just trying to find something in it that was important because I assumed you guys were going to find something important in it um, and I would need to talk about it. But no, I did not find anything that was no. worth um, digging into. <laughs> no, nah, it's, it's just their it's just their uh, their their version of like important constellations and the uh, the, the the weird little stories that come behind it. Um, this uh, the important part is talking about the uh, the the, the uh, 12 guardians. Um, and the fact that there are two different versions of it, right? There is a fairy tale version, which is, hey, there are these fantastical animals that uh, keep the world together. Um, and there is the realistic one, which hacks uh, the Cinnabon traitor um, from Gilead Castle. Uh, the one that hacks told them. Um, hacks used to say that the creation of the, of the Twelve Guardians uh, was the last act of the Great Old Ones. Their attempt to atone for the great wrongs uh, that they had done to each other. And to the earth itself, you know, Eddie talks about like, oh, in our world, we would have we, we would have called this the cyborg, right? Like like this is, you know, it, it is not straight up just a robot, but it is a living thing that has been modified in such a way that part of it is is mechanical. And each of these presides over a portal um, that exists uh, kind of at the far edges of the of the of the earth. And if you trace the line between all of them, that is where the dark tower is. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of any other pertinent details um, later on. Like, so this is stuff that just kind of filters out and got solidified in some of the extraneous media. But these, uh, but these guardians were actually technological replacements that were made by the great old ones um, in order to uh, atone for harvesting all of the magic and basically killing the original ones um in order to power all their technology and stuff. So like these are, you know, what we're what we're seeing is not actually, you know, the 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 product of the cosmos, you know, these weird angelic beings. These are actually man-made creations that are like a facsimile, uh technological facsimile for something that was magical here before. And I might be the only person who cares about that. Oh, no, no, no. no? I, I, okay. 
this this part is fascinating because I mean this is where we're actually starting to this is where you do start to get a little bit what's going on like you know that he's headed to the tower it's a quest but finding out that the tower is in the center of everything especially when he draws out the illustrations in the dirt yeah it 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 it's fantastic yeah especially the little rhyme. I, I love the turtle rhyme. Oh, I love how it just uh, pops up. See the see the turtle of enormous girth on its back. It holds the earth. Uh, his uh, something something. <laughs> he holds a, he holds us all within his mind. He even loves a child like me. Like it is it is a really good rhyme. Um, Stephen King uh, does that really well. And also that turtle is a connection to it in theaters this September. That is true. <laughs> yep. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I just I'm, no, I, I'm glad I'm glad it wasn't a robo turtle. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it so so in in it it wasn't a robo turtle. In this world, it's probably like, I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's it shell turtle. has it, it shell has been made into any number of uh, glasses, frames, and belt buckles. So, <laughs> <laughs> Evan, go ahead. I I I feel like uh, I feel like kind of a dunce here, but I never thought about like the the bear or the other guardians being like technological replacements for things that had existed previously. Yeah, yeah. Like that's I'm I'm just kind of like shit, that's such a cool idea and makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like it seems so obvious now that like you said that mm-hmm. and I I don't know why that never occurred to me before, but like it 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 didn't. Yeah. So it's a um it's it's a detail from the later books and um at the top of this episode I actually reiterated some of our spoiler policy this isn't something that like it's not like it's a huge revelation i think the revelation would be that um robotic giant animals exist at all um but these are details like some of these cosmological things uh that happen are things that are solidified and kind of like that weird soupy nebula between book six and seven just where uh, King is deciding uh, kind of what the creation myth is, uh, which is weird because it doesn't actually interact with the main plot of the series too terribly much with the exception of things like the prim um, and stuff like that. And things that are, you know, related to characters that we can't talk in great detail about so far, you know, like or uh, at this point. But yeah, like the, the 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 struggle between magic and technology, and the great old one's relationship with the forces that hold the world together, and then you know uh, trying to make up for their own hubris by replacing those uh, in a scrambled last minute attempt to save their civilization from ruin. Uh, like those are details that pop up here. Yeah, I I guess I just missed that every time I've gone through. Yeah. But Hax was right. Like, like Hax totally, to- totally had it there. Well, I guess both of them were right, but Hax was right more recently, um, possibly. <laughs> so, so, something like that. Um, so each of these guardians sits at a portal, and each of these portals generates a beam. Six beams, 12 portals, all converging at the tower. And we get this nice little diagram. Uh, Stephen King is very diagram happy in this portion of the book, in this first half, uh, drawing, you know, images of keys and drawing timelines and drawing these, uh, you know, basically re- relating what Roland is drawing in the sand. Uh, and I appreciate that. I'm a person who likes a good picture. <laughs> yeah, my my only problem with it is uh, I'm kind of I, I'm I'm concurrently revisiting uh, Breakfast of Champions. Oh yeah, and so when he sketches out the, <laughs> yeah, the beams, 
with the tower at the nexus. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's, like it's the asshole. Yeah, it's the asshole from Breakfast of Champions, and I can't see anything else. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is the asshole that is on the spine of all of my Kermonica books. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very strange that that is that that became his uh, his mascot. <laughs> um, what's important here like immediately for the quest like all of this would be academic if it weren't for the fact that they found a guardian so therefore they may be at one of these portals and these portals generates the beam that would lead them to the tower like yahtzee if we follow the path that this bear took we can you know find the direct path to the tower you know we would have an arrow that points directly to our goal awesome I love that Roland thought it was all fake, too. I mean, it'd be like finding out that because, uh, you know, you assume certain things uh, are allegories or parables like, oh, yeah, yeah. Jonah was actually inside the whale and it was a giant robot whale. I mean, like, I, I like that Roland is just baffled by it, yeah. you know, like, wow, he just looked, I guess they weren't. What? what? OK, yeah, just just looks at it, scratch the scratch of the back of his head and goes, well, I'll be fucked. They were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Um, so let's get to the root of why Roland is going crazy as he is saying there was a boy, there was not a boy, uh, because strangely enough, neither Eddie nor Susanna have any recollection or uh, recollection of Roland telling them about Jake. Like they remember him explicitly telling a story about being under the mountains alone, which contradicts, uh, some of the things that we have seen in the books themselves. You know, there is this paradox that is, you know, apparent and is splitting Roland's mind in two. And so he relates the story of the gunslinger and says, hey, the version that is true as of the time we went through the third door um, involves uh, me never finding a person at this way station, only leaving with water. The version that is false as of this point uh, is me going there, finding the boy, getting the jaw from the speaking demon and leaving with Jake. The only thing that is that is true between both of them is him picking up Walter's jawbone and thinking, Oh, I could replace this thing that I lost earlier. <laughs> and so this is, uh, something that would be, uh, you know, that they believe is a, another one of the traps that Walter set for them, uh, set for Roland specifically knowing that, uh, that this would, that this would happen and tear them apart. What do you guys think of this? Is this, too convoluted is this uh something that uh you know makes narrative narrative sense to you or is 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 powerful um i'm i'm kind of curious this is actually kind of one of my my favorite um like perils of time travel stories yeah where it just the way that he deals with alternate realities it's not like oh you know if you if you go back in time and you know, kill your father or kill, kill your surrogate son, I guess in this case, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't unmake anything, but when you try to go back, you will go insane because both the former reality and the one you created are true. And you're the only one who knows that. Yeah. It's uh trying to reconcile your memories with the reality, snapping back to stepping back to a place where you have undone a, a, a truth, right? Yeah, and, and I can't think of I can't think of anything else that has handled it quite that way, and I've just always been really drawn to that that kind of um, consequence, I guess, as a narrative device. Yeah. 
Autumn, how about you? I I really liked this as a device as well when he's first telling Eddie and Susanna about it because you do start to feel as a reader like, you know, I'm part of the content. We're all in this together. And like, it's so jarring to me as a reader that Eddie and Susanna don't remember Jake either. They're like, no, you told us that. I'm like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I think we all know what really happened. It's just a nice way to kind of throw you off and um, really make you experience what Roland's going through. You know, I'm like, no, I've got a whole set of memories that apparently Eddie and Susanna don't. But I mean, I've been there with Eddie and Susanna the entire time they've been in this world. I thought that was 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 really good. I, I think there's one moment somewhere in there. Uh, maybe it's a little bit later, but um, I, I think it's Eddie or Susanna. They're like, oh, man, this time travel stuff or this um, paradox stuff is really hard. And I'm like, that's smart of an author, too, to, to put that in. They're like, oh, well, it's something that doesn't excuse everything. They're like, well, we don't really understand this. OK, <laughs> we're just going to trust you, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I also there, there's a, a scene in there um, when they after they talk about the jawbone where Roland throws it into the fire and I'm glad that I think it was Eddie. Like, the, like it's really weird that this guy is carrying around a jawbone. Oh right? yeah, he's got this like, cannibal like, trophy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad somebody acknowledged that. That's weird. Yeah, <laughs> just just slung around in his back pocket. Like, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I asked that hypothetical leading question because my first go through of this, I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? Because writing about time travel is hard, you know. And uh, you know, if you're not following the exact the exact string of causality is, you know, it, it, it can be confusing. It can be, it can throw you off. Right. Um, and so, you know, shrug, uh, it, you know, I eventually got it. Um, and I do think that it is cool, but I think that some of this stuff, you know, especially as we start talking about Ka and as we start talking about like, Oh, Mort was disguised as a priest that day. That's why Jake confused them. There's a certain element of this that feels to me like Stephen King doing um, backflips and bending over backward, uh, doing a lot of backward things, actually, in order to, you know, reconcile some of the dangling threads or loose ends to, like, (laughs) address them so that they can move so that they can move forward. I have less kind of understanding I have less understanding of Roland's plight in this of having two different memories um, than I do of Jake, who we're going to talk about, like his whole story of, you know, believing that he is dead and alive at the same time. Like that is visceral in a way that Roland's kind of confusion is not. And it's it's a shame that narratively they have to pick up with, you know, the people who we know are alive Um and tell their story up to the point where they, you know, skip over, um, and they can't actually lead with, with Jake and his, uh, and 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 his, uh, you know, kind of angst about, you know, having memories of several of his own deaths. Right. I um I I definitely have a lot more sympathy for Jake than I do for Roland, but um, <laughs> in this particular section, I actually feel pretty badly for Roland because mm-hmm. everybody goes you know, goes to, goes to bed at the camp and Roland has to sit there and listen to Susanna and Eddie have sex and (laughs) then talk about him. Like, like as soon as they finish having sex, they're like, man, what are we going to do about Roland? And (laughs) Roland is sitting there awake listening to it. Like, and then Eddie go to sleep and Eddie dreams about the tower and Roland doesn't. (laughs) That's a bad night. Yeah, that is, that is no good. Yeah, I'm I'm that, glad that, that came up because that's yeah that that whole 
section is uh it's uncomfortable yeah <laughs> at that point roland should have gotten up and taken a walk like oh, i didn't go stretch yeah. my legs and then just come back and come back and see Not, nothing better than having your two best friends have sex in front of you and then talk about you behind your back well, some great people, day some people pay good money for that you know <laughs> yeah uh but uh but eddie has this dream uh, and it's this kind of bizarre dream where he is back in new york uh goes to tom and jerry's artistic deli party platters are specialty um and uses uses a key in order to find um in order to go through and uh get to the field of roses that the dark tower is in noticing that there is this kind of malignant um you know presence this cloud that is coming along with it um <laughs> and he gets a visit from a half devour jack andalini talking about a, a thousand worlds eddie ten thousand and that train goes through every one of them um as he recognizes this we skipped something really big and important um which is roland disgusted by uh kind of his own his own state here's a voice that says throw the jawbone into the fire and this explodes and everybody is really angry because you know embers are everywhere but eddie sees an image of a key and an image of a rose inside of it and that prompts the dream yeah that that is uh just for the sake of avoiding spoilers i'm gonna say mildly significant <laughs> yes um a key and a rose are both incredibly important for this uh um, for this book in particular, but also the series in general, you know? Yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts about either uh, him seeing the uh, seeing this key um, in this, you know, fateful exploding jawbone uh, or the dream that he has a result of this? Uh, Autumn, I'll go to you first. Well, I, I guess what seeing the key, um, I could have handled drawing the key in with a stick in the dirt. Mm -hmm. you know as eddie did but again thank god roland drew these people where eddie's like huh got a piece of wood that looks like a key and now <laughs> i've got a key yeah. in my mind <laughs> but um man i just loved eddie's dream i mean this is our first time seeing the tower as well we, we've heard descriptions of it but as a reader this is our first time i mean in a field of roses which kind of calls out to like a wizard of oz poppy fields type of thing yeah I, it, 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 it it's it's a great dream yeah i mean the, the fact that eddie looks at it and confuses the field of roses for you know the aftermath of a terribly bloody battle you know it brings a lot more menace to the proceedings than if it just you know straight up looked like a field of roses at the start you know there there, there is something sinister about its presence um, even without the uh, the clouds, you know, that are coming in and, you know, again, forming this malignancy around it and the terrible horn that is sounding from the top of it, you know, signaling the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Evan, how about you? Yeah, I, I, I also love Eddie's dream. I love the, the imagery and the, it, it's, it's such an Eddie dream too, because it starts out so mundane. Like he's in New York and he runs into Balazar as a beggar. And then Jack Andalini as like a guy on the street and he walks into a deli, but <laughs> then that opens into the field of roses and, and the tower. And it's, <laughs> it's just kind of like Eddie's whole, um, 
there's there's like a, a romantic aspect to Eddie's character that is, I think, what makes his character work as well as it does. And this dream kind of shows both sides of it in a really great, fun sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as throwing the the jawbone in the fire and Eddie seeing a key in a rose, I always felt like that was kind of a, a little bit on the nose. Like it, it always, it's always felt kind of heavy handed to me in a way that's that I don't think is the case with um, at least the first half of these the series. Yeah. Which it's not a huge deal. I'm just, it's not my favorite. It, the, 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 pr- the problem isn't that it's never explained. It's that it's never justified. <laughs> um, yes. That, 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 I, that, I agree with that completely. That, 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 that is an incredibly subtle distinction. It is, it, you know, it, again, it is narrative convenience. <laughs> like the, the, the fact <laughs> that Walter's jawbone would, you know, would show him, would show him the way forward. And there's a little bit of like playing fast and loose about how much, Walter or any number of his other, um, or any number of his other, uh, you know, egos, right? Alter egos would, uh, would want them to get to a certain point. You know, there's always this kind of push and pull between him helping them along and also hindering them. Right. Which is a problem with a lot of, you know, villain turns, you know, um, as they, uh, you know, like, oh, your, your, your plan depends on them succeeding a little bit, but you're going to kill, you're going to try and kill them the whole time. All right. We'll, we'll see about that, I guess. Um, but uh, but it's there. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's a little bit uh, – it is a little bit heavy-handed. Yeah, but I, I, I do genuinely love the dream that Eddie has, and I, I really like – like Autumn said, it's the first time that we get to see the tower, and it's mm-hmm. just such a striking image. Yeah. The, the way that they all wake up from it, too, is, I think, one of the first genuinely hilarious moments in the, the series. <laughs> yep. yep. As, the, as, as a gigantic PA system screams, like, a reward will be provided. Please clear the area. 45 minutes until nuclear <laughs> Well, it just so like notably, Jack Handley is talking about this train, and you also hear like, "Oh, the machine is malfunctioning. The, the machine will shut down, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. You think that it's talking about the train, but you know, again, in this blurring of the lines, they wake up, um, and the <laughs> some system around the bear is blaring this sound so loud that they cannot exist around it. So they have to get all of their gear, pry up all the hides from underneath the corpse of this bear and clear the area because otherwise they, they're going to go deaf. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty wonderful. Yeah. There's a, there's a part where Eddie's describing how loud it is. And he talks about how one time when he was in New Jersey, he went to the Meadowlands to go see Anthrax and Megadeth, excuse me, Anthrax and Megadeth perform. <laughs> and when you combine that with a, um, a line later where Eddie used to do a little sidewalk surfing when he was younger, skateboarding. Oh, yeah. Do you think there's any chance, chance Eddie? I mean, he's a little bit of a dirtbag, isn't he? He's like a handsome teenage dirtbag. Oh, yeah. I mean, nowhere near as handsome as Braden Cameron, but, you know, he's, oh, he's, who he's, is, he's up there. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and that was a silly thing I said, Evan. Autumn, that's a, that's a very silly thing that I said. But, yeah, he's definitely a, a dirtbag. It, it paints a more punk image than, than I think we got in book two. Um, and that's, pro- that's probably 
maybe time passing and Stephen King realizing that he can't just write about himself when he was 20 because that wouldn't make sense for somebody who was 20 in 1985. <laughs> so, so actually updating it and making him a little bit of a you know like like, like a skater boy who may or may not see you later boy um makes like, <laughs> I, I just now i'm picturing eddie looking like axel rose with like the the short like jean shorts and the <sighs> um you know like flannel shirt and the the backwards hat autumn i'd really rather not <laughs> if, I, if, I just need could. to say if uh if there's one more Avril Lavigne reference, I'm uh, I'm you're, you're disconnecting out. from okay. the call. Yep. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Evan's done. Evan's <laughs> done with the episode. Yeah. See, it, it, it was uh, it, it was definitely the path of least resistance, and I I was saying it before I could stop myself. So I'll <laughs> I'll own that. I will I will eat that particular crow. <laughs> um, this is one of the notable uh, times when they're. Uh, um when when their telepathy starts kicking in they can't hear each other uh but you know we get this italics text popping in of the characters you know issuing commands to each other almost and then we have our third and final palaver where they get to the root of the paradox having talked about whether or not roland had actually described the boy being in this world they eventually put things together and eddie sums this up i'm just going to read what he says and again this makes me feel like a real dim bulb for not getting it the first couple of times um if jake wasn't pushed into the street he never died if he never died he never came into this world and if he never came into this world you never met him at the way station right um and so what has happened when roland came into the body of jack mort he stopped you know jack from doing what he was doing but that was not the day that mort was going to die you know roland uh didn't want to fall into the trap of having the man in black um make him kill jake a second time you know he just uh, didn't want to happen and, and eddie marvels at that you know, like, oh, like, just when you think that he's a complete, a completely cold machine, he, he doesn't want to kill a kid twice. Okay. Clap, clap, clap. Um, so by doing this and by killing Jack Mort, uh, before the actual day when Jack would have, w w w you know, would have killed Jake, um, he has ensured that Jake would live, but he is still carrying around the memories of the time when, you know, when, when, when Jake did die. Is, is, is that clear that I make a complete mess of that? No, I think that pretty much sums it up. Whew, okay. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. I mean, you know, this uh, this whole time travel paradox stuff is complicated. It really is. Uh, there are several uh, episodes of Futurama that have, uh, that have really failed uh, to, to do anything with it. Yeah, uh, that, that is a sick burn on a show that's been canceled. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I think they get a little bit too cute with that stuff sometimes. Yeah. Um, I just like that you're uh, you're not afraid to make the hard hitting jokes <laughs> at Futurama's expense. You've got that uh, that edgy South Park comedy humor that oh, you know that I love. We all know and love. You know I love that South Park humor. See, I feel bad because that's Griffin's bit. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, but you you led me into it, and I was not going to not take the bit take take, take the was, bait. But <laughs> that was unintentional. I apologize <laughs> to the. Uh, the, the McElroy Media Empire. <laughs> yep. Oh God, big giant head, don't come after me. Um, <sighs> oof. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see here. Is there anything else? There's a little bit of like detail fudging. You know, again, it feels like Stephen King didn't decide who he wanted to actually have killed Jake um, until he wanted to solidify it here. Uh, Jake just got them confused because Jack Mort and Walter looked similar, uh, both by their build, um, their hair. And by their by their garb, 
Walter being the man in black and uh, Jack Mort being the, per, you know, <laughs> being, I, I was about to say the pervert that he is. Uh, no, being a person who likes to um, dress up in costumes when he kills people. And so like that, that, <laughs> that explains why Jake would have said, oh, the man in black is the person who killed me in my world when that is obviously not the case. Yeah, Jake. <laughs> you you stupid 11-year-old. Get your details right. <laughs> um, so again, I'm going to I'm going to check your check your pulse on this. Reconciling these details with each other, is this something that works on its own or is it something that is I think necessary um to, you know, have the plot proceed in a in a way that, you know, needs to happen. Proceed or precede? Uh both. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, so precede, right? Like he was clearing up what actually happened. But I think in order to get Jake back into this world and to complete the quartet, uh, along with Oi, you know, is going to come along and it's going to be fun. Um, <laughs> uh, in order to complete the quartet, he has to explain, you know, why why he would still be alive and why Roland can have this, um, you know, could can have this cathartic moment of bringing him back into the world where he kind of really belongs now. Like that is the choice that he wanted to make because. You know, Stephen King got attached to the character of Jake and to the relationship between Roland uh, and, and, and and Jake. So that's what I mean when I say proceed, right? Like setting up the pieces so that there are no glaring contradictions or omissions that would cause people to say, like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Why is this person alive when we obviously saw them die twice? I don't have a response planned for that. I was just curious. Autumn, you can you can go ahead. I'm just going to paraphrase Susanna when she said, I see, I think. This time travel business is some confusing shit, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, I I, I think it works and it makes sense. Um, You you know, you hate to have uh, such a big chunk of the book just devoted to how can we get Jake? Right, right. You know, that's one thing. Like, you know, if if 30% of the book is uh, how can we write it so that we can get him? You (laughs) you know, I mean, I I guess I respect the, the work that he put in to get the boy. (laughs) <laughs> to, 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 to get that boy yeah um if it sounds like i'm being unduly harsh to this portion of the book or to these decisions understand that i like what springs from this i like jake as a character and especially the way he develops you know when he is in the world part-time because he was very much out of place you know where where he was at i love the next chapter of the book where we see jake coping with this stuff i think that just right now they're just growing pains of, you know, deciding that this is going to coalesce into a single stream of narrative as opposed to a couple of different books that he wrote, you know, over the course of decades. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's see here. So Jake, uh, like we said, confused Walter and Mort and we have all these things. Let's talk about these, uh, about the portal and the beams, right? Because we get a little bit of, uh, we get a little bit of detail when they go to find Shardik's clearing and these sad, sad little robot boys um, uh, around this uh, portal that looks like a, uh, like a subway entrance, except uh, painted, uh, you know, with caution stripes. Um, but these, uh, these, these dying little robots, I want to do like simple, uh, like a, like a really simple t-shirt design with these things, you know, the, the, the snake, the box, the, the, the tractor, uh, and the bat, <laughs> and also the rat, because I just I, I I love these things like walking circles into the into the clearing in the ground. Um, they're creatures of sadness in their own strange way. Eddie is going to put them out of their misery. Um, what do you think of our uh, of our sad robot friends? 
What was that old show on Comedy Central where they used to have the robots fight each other? Uh, Battlebots. Like, the Battlebots. I just I picture them less like animals and more. I mean, they they say that they're rats and bats, but I just picture it like them just running into stuff and you know (laughs) (laughs) that's what i visualize when i see this yeah all of them aren't uh wedge shaped though so it can't be battle bots (laughs) man i'm taking i'm taking aim at early 2000s media properties Uh, i I will not let anything that aired in 2002 uh go unscathed no one is safe but uh, it's also uh, because again i we talked at the beginning about this being the book where eddie really comes into his own when eddie calls one of them uh, a roto rooter for for mr brer bear's enema um (laughs) eddie is hilarious he's on fire in this book Uh, yeah roto rooter for brer bear's enema yeah (laughs) because again he thinks in he thinks in jokes he thinks in symbols he looks at this and instead of thinking huh i wonder what these are for he just jumps to the most outrageous thing that he could that, that he could think or say Um, Evan, how about you? I never trusted them. <laughs> they're talking about they're talking about feeling like feeling bad or feeling pity or feeling sad about them, and it it never really added up to me. And then as soon as literally anything happens, and they kind of turn into fucking killbots, it's like, <laughs> yep, yep, there it is. Yep, they they turn into killbots with uh, with 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 uh, teeth that were like sewing needles. Um, going yeah, directly for the face. Yeah, it's it's Chekhov's needle bot. <laughs> yep. As uh, as Roland decides, hey, this is a teachable moment. He knows that Eddie is going to be able to uh, to use the guns to you know to stop them. Right? Like, hey, you know, we're, Eddie's going to do this. Um, and Roland uh, again in this mirror of his moment of taunting Susanna. Man, Susanna kind of seems to get the worst end of all of this. Decides, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna help him stop this rat creature from gnawing off Susanna's face um yeah i don't i don't know how i feel about him always leaving Susanna out to dry yeah his uh his choice in teachable moments is suspect at best (laughs) yeah i don't even i I do not even know if i'm using that word correctly that phrase i just know that that is a that that is a phrase that i've heard at work teachable moments no that's that's what they are but i'm yeah and, and he's to his credit, he's not ever technically been wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even when he's wrong in this situation, mm-hmm. it's because of incomplete information. Right. But you, you hope when you're teaching somebody that, um, you know, when Eddie says uh, you're really lucky because if there had been a bullet in this gun, I would have shot you and then you wouldn't have to worry about looking for your tower anymore. <laughs> you, you, you you hope that you're not pushing your students to the edge where you could almost get shot routinely. Like yeah. that seems like he's he's walking a walking a tightrope there, huh? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you take a break from differential equations to have a pizza party and watch Donald Duck and Math Magic Land. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's too much to ask. Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah but he realizes uh oh nope i actually do need to help when the bat bot swoops down and nearly takes off eddie's head yeah uh well you know you live and you learn so there's a little there's a little bit more um like the mechanics of the world stuff as we uh find the beam right 
um, and they immediately call out Roland's diagram and saying, didn't you say these were at the edge of the world? There's no like steep drop off. Like it doesn't just break over to the other side. I can walk upside down and all of a sudden we're on, we're in Australia and Roland's like, oh, well, there's just a ton of stuff about this world that I don't know. All of this was a nursery rhyme to me like a minute ago. So maybe climb <laughs> off my dick. <laughs> um, like, no, this is just a place where the beam starts. <laughs> well, when when they're talking about the beams or when Roland's teaching them about the beams and he's talking about magnetism and they're going to do that stuff with the needle and the cup. A- am I the only person who um, for whom insane clown posse ruined magnets? No, no. I think that that is something that uh, the, the <laughs> I, it's going to sound like I am being facetious here. But no, I, I don't think that you're the only person for whom the general concept I, of magnetism and explaining the way it works. Oh. <laughs> I know pretty well how they work, but every time I see the word magnetism now, all I can think of is that miracle song where they say fucking magnets, how do they work? And <laughs> it just it just takes me out of everything. When I, I read anything about magnetism now, I just think of the insane clown posse. Yeah. No, they, they, they've, ru- they've ruined a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how do they work? <laughs> well, who, kn- who knows? Well, Miracles. Well, what I love is when uh, one of them, I forget if it's Susanna or Eddie, says like, oh, wait, so like, do these beams work by magnetism or something? Roland, his face lights up. Like there's a moment of recognition. They have this... Um, <laughs> they, they have this uh you know kind of epiphany like oh my gosh we've like like yeah we have the same word for this it's great it's like magnetism and gravity and it holds it together <laughs> i bet i bet roland was a nerd when he grew up huh like he had a little gilead erector <laughs> set and like Ro- 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 roland definitely strikes me as a nerd who might have been ashamed to be a nerd um Aww. as opposed <laughs> oh yeah you gotta oh, lean in time. buddy yeah. lean in own it own it you know he's not he's not a i mean everybody describes him as a dull person but they you know he's he's never he's never described as dumb you know he is um the mortcyclopedia for this world you know or the mortcipedia sorry i <laughs> didn't mean to mispronounce that do i need to put a dollar in the mortcipedia drawer um uh yeah <laughs> i said drawer as though it was jar um but yeah this the, this new one's a drawer <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean you know drawers kind of figure in pretty heavily into these books so uh true true they are the wastelands uh in a in a little revelation that we that we kind of glossed over um so roland describes that like yes the world is moving on and you know time is getting timey-wimey and space is getting spacey-wacy to use um bonfire side chat lingo that i didn't that we didn't realize was uh doctor who lingo for years and years um describing that you really Oh, we really didn't. No, it was um, like Brayton introduced those terms to us when we were trying to describe the way the time works in that series. I was like, oh, it's timey-wimey. Neither Gary nor I, uh, Gary, you know, the, the, the co-host of, uh, of Bonfire Side Chat, uh, everybody who's listening to this knows this, or most people who listen to this know that. Neither of us know Doctor Who. We don't like that. Like that is just a big blind spot for us. And so we just kept on repeating it until I think like two years later when we were sitting at uh, Portland Retro Games Expo and Brayton's like, hey, guys, I've got to tell you something because (laughs) you've been saying this and I may or may not have tricked you into saying a Doctor Who thing for years. Oh, he ran the long game on you. Yeah. And that is a very Brayton move. (laughs) I'm just happy that he actually like like admitted it. 
Uh, and I'm also uh, a little bit thrown off that nobody actually came out and said, you guys know what you're doing, right? Like a lot of people had an opportunity to stop us. Yeah, I, I assumed it was deliberate. Nah, nah, no. Oh, well, you li- <laughs> again, you live and you learn. I don't mean to keep saying the same things over and over again. Uh, but Roland describes like, hey, uh, the world is actually like getting looser. The forces that, you know, hold these portals to the tower are actually loosening up. Distances are getting greater. He describes riding um are taking uh, it taking him 20 years to ride 1000 miles um after he you know stole something valuable from john farson uh, I, I can only assume it was like the oregon trail and like he tried to ford a river and his oxen died and somebody got dysentery and that's why it took him so long <laughs> yeah yeah he spent he spent about 10 years going in circles <laughs> yeah um, he, he just wants to be the man who wrote 10 the man who wrote a thousand miles to wind up at see and now we're even the for the uh, now we're even for the avril levine thing i think yeah i i know i <laughs> realized that was a really bad joke as soon as i started it see we we, we both did the same thing now we're yeah even. <laughs> um, i probably should have just stopped and yeah no it's not, fine it's not uh, done that no I, I can't blame you i do the same thing um i love this moment when uh when roland says like hey Eddie, if you're curious what's on the other side of that, I think that I know maybe if you go and put your ear up to it, you can listen and see. Um, And what he hears um, is this kind of dying machinery, these horrible things as the energy comes through and, you know, makes him hallucinate almost. And so, you know, he remembers this old mansion that was uh, at Dutch Hill near his uh, near his old neighborhood, someplace that people thought was haunted. Um, and I'm just going to read these passages because I think that they're amazing. Um, and I tend to do this at least once an episode. Um, he seemed to hear voices murmuring up, uh, from the long hallways, like stone throats halls, which were lit with guttering electric torches. One of these flambeaux, uh, of the modern age had thrown a bright glare across everything. Once these flambeaux of the modern age had thrown a bright glare, a bright glare across everything, but now they were only sullen cores of blue light. He sensed emptiness, desertion, desolation, and death. And upon coming back from this and getting this, you know, vision almost, he says, All is silent in the halls of the dead. All is forgotten in the stone halls of the dead. Behold the stairways which stand in the darkness. Behold the rooms of ruin. These are halls of the dead where the spiders spin and the great circuits fall quiet one by one. We eventually see where this leads to. Like it is describing an actual place in this uh, in this world, you know these the, 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 these halls of the dead. But right now, um, it is giving a very powerful image of the alien world of the uh, just complete hostility on the other side of these doors. That all of them, like nobody even wants to be near this. Nobody wants to sleep around it. I when I read this line, I didn't notice. Um, there's a part in the stand where Fran's thinking to herself. Uh, I think she says something about um, the way sunlight falls into museums and the halls of the dead. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting to see that that halls of the dead used again in a uh, tie-in book. You know? Yeah, I was um, curious about this, and I did a Google. Like, this is a Stephen King original. I thought that he was pulling from something because that sounds uh, Lovecraft as fuck to me. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he, I think he does say Eldritch in this section, and I think he does say Cyclopean again. Yes, he does. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. I've got no problems with him wearing his influence oh, on his sleeve. I love it. Yeah, do more, please. Yeah, 
I think he, I think he actually has like a like he has entries like short stories and uh, collections of things that are in mythos, which I should probably seek out. Actually, yeah, that'll be my next Amazon purchase. That's the ticket. <laughs> um, did, so so did that line? Did that did, <laughs> was that sequence overwrought, or did it land for you like it did for me? Oh, it was perfect. Oh yeah, it it absolutely landed. Like I. Like, like it's, it's Lovecraft as fuck, which I'm a sucker for also. And, yeah. uh, it's, it's very, th- there's something really kind of amazing about Roland saying, Hey, why don't you put your ear against the door? <laughs> he had no idea what and was going to happen. He hadn't. No and then he, and then he, he just kind of lets it, lets, lets it fuck Eddie up a little bit <laughs> and then pulls him away and says, that's enough. <laughs> yep. Like that's the, the the amazing like imagery in in what Eddie is saying aside, like just the context for that is ridiculous and I love it so much. Hey Eddie, is that burner hot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh there's another dream where um uh where Eddie uh hears the lyrics to painted black, again talking about these doors and Things like that, but it's interrupted by Roland screaming about Jake, which segues into another demonstration. You know, now that they are on the path, um, Roland actually shows like, hey, look around you. Like, it is not just the compass that responds to these, that responds to the beam. You can actually see the telltale, you know, kind of part in the land that goes along this. Um, And I love the way that everybody kind of like activates and sees it once he says like, hey, look at the shadows, you know, the way everything leads into it when the light hits it. Um, a certain way. What I also love is Eddie saying, "Wait a minute, Roland. This won't make this won't make me sterile, will it?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and the chapter ends with two uh, kind of fateful moments. Uh, Roland gives Eddie his his gun and his knife, uh, saying, "Like, yep, I am not fit to carry these until my insanity goes away, if it ever does." Um, and then he also jokes saying like, oh, you know, Eddie's like, well, geez, you got anything else? Like, yes, I do. Um, showing that like, you know, again, Roland is getting used to this, even though, you know, things are really terrible. And also the other fable thing is that Eddie finds, um, an ash bow, um, you know, a, a, a stick of ash wood that, uh, contains the shape of the key, knowing that it is going to be faithful for him to do this, you know, important for him to do it, but never you know describing at least not yet what his purpose is and going for it, and everybody just kind of trusts him and that's the way uh that's the way the story ends not the story that that that'd be weird uh, <laughs> that is the way the chapter ends and this is the last we're going to see of roland eddie and Susanna um for a little bit as we start dealing with um you know, with Jake's side of this, with his, with his, uh, uh portion of the paradox, uh, final thoughts about this, about this opening section, about, uh, seeing at least the majority of our gang operating together without tremendous, you know, duress, uh, for the first time. Um, Evan, go ahead. I, I feel like this, I feel like we said this actually at the beginning of drawing of the three, but it, starting this book, it's like Oh, the game just changed. Yes. And that, you know, that's coming from the main character who is a gunslinger loses two hands on his two fingers on his dominant hand immediately. 
like that's that was the beginning of the last book. This one starts with giant crazy robot bear. <laughs> I I I really don't know like I don't know how much bigger you can go than giant insane robot bear. Um but it 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 does kind of like the the oversized ridiculousness of it doesn't take away from just the overall strangeness that it imparts into the world and um, the the amount of character development that happens in just a, a couple hundred pages is really really interesting and engaging and fun and it was great the first time I read through it and it's been great every time I've read through it since and yeah. I'm. I forgot how much I love this one. <laughs> yeah. Autumn, how about you? I, I think, I think I, I feel pretty similarly. I, uh, this book really is just fun. I mean, mm. it, it's action packed. It moves well. You know, you, you don't think they're going to be able to top the bear, but Oh man, are there some great characters coming that are <laughs> so important? Um, you're moving forward. You've gotten a better idea of the mythos and what the tower represents and means hands down my favorite book in the series. Yeah. Starting with the bear, starting with Shardik um, is a pretty wise move in terms of providing enough spectacle to offset, you know, some of the exposition that happens here doesn't offset all of it because it is very much like, Hey, we're going to take a moment now that we're comfortable, you know, to show you some of the weird things that happen in Midworld, Right. Um, and I think that the, the, that, that is a, that, that is a good decision. I think that after this, um, and this definitely has some velocity as well, I think that after this, this book moves at a really breakneck pace. Um, and I think that really suits it very well, like up until the very end of it, which is quite literally as fast as they're ever going to move. I don't know, you know, like that, that may be a spoiler, but who knows? Let's just be oblique about it. Um, you know, I, I think that it, it sets the tone. Um, some important groundwork is laid here. It had to happen somewhere, and it is good that it happened with that spectacle and with us getting to know um, Eddie and Susanna better and also getting to know a version of Eddie and Susanna um, that Stephen King had a little bit more time to think about um, and characterize than just um, what he did in The Drawing of the Three, which was which was good, but also had its own kind of momentum that had them so desperate that they were dealing with things in the moment as opposed to thinking about how they would fit together cohesively as a group. Um, and that is the thing that I, that, that, that I love most about this is the building of the Kotet. Yeah, so that has been uh, Bear and Bone. Uh, we're going to be back next time in two weeks with uh, with the next chapter again talking about jake's uh kind of portion of this uh thank you so much autumn and evan uh where can people find you on the internet if they would like to find you uh autumn uh you can find me on twitter at at mrs greer that's spelled m-i-s-s-u-s greer uh you can also find me in the duck feed slack channel for radio free midworld um, and it's a pretty exciting time there. Like, um, as we alluded to in the middle of the episode, this is a, uh, you know, it's the beginning of May. We just got the first official trailer for the Dark Tower movie. Um, people are talking about it. Um, people are sharing their impressions. And there's an awful lot of, like, spoiler chat around it. But, uh, but come there. Join join Autumn and us to, uh, to talk about it. Um, Evan, how about you? Where can people find you? 
Uh, I am at Mr. Underscore Harder, all spelled out uh, on Twitter. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Very Good Serial Reviews, <laughs> where I review serial in uh, a very comprehensive and even handed sort of way. <laughs> yeah. That's a fun project. Um, nothing, nothing weird going on there at all. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> Just good, clean fun. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you can you can also check out uh, whatever I'm currently working on at evanjonesthorn.com if you think I'm that interesting, which I'm, I don't, but yeah. hey. Hopefully cool. you, you might. <laughs> yeah. Don't sell yourself short, buddy. Um, and, and, and you can you can also find me uh, commenting on the uh, the Kickstarter for Gary Butterfield's uh Power is it Power Worlds or Worlds of Power? That's the, oh, the God. fake one. Which, uh, power Worlds is the fake one. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Worlds of Power is the uh, is is the uh, is the real one. Okay. Or, well, anyway, you 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 can find me commenting on the Kickstarter page long after the com- uh, the campaign has concluded. <laughs> um, I, man, I didn't back that one. I God, I feel so bad, but I'm I'm, I'm participating. I'd, I I I offer my support by recording the audiobook for it. So that is, uh, yeah, we're okay. Yeah, I think, good. I think you're good. Yeah, I think I think I think I'm fine. So I'm not able to see your to, to see your sweet sweet comments. Uh, yeah, no, uh, Gary, uh, one of the people on the network, uh, he he writes uh, a series of parody children's books about video games. The first one is Souls of Darkness, and the second one is called Atomic. The first one being about Dark Souls, the second one being about Fallout. Um, I'm excited for the Fallout one, and I'm going to be intimately familiar with it as I will be reading the audio book. For myself, you can find me at Cole Ross on Twitter. That is K-O-L-E-R-O-S-S. And you can also find me on other shows here on DuckFeed.TV, uh, mostly about video games, but about some other fun stuff. And Please. most importantly, you can find Cole at uh, ColeRossMurderFiles.info. <laughs> yep. And also <laughs> ColeRossLegalDefenseFund.net or something. I... Did I actually set that one up? I don't remember. <laughs> I need to go back to the Facebook messages. That meme, that meme is really going to get me in trouble someday, sometime. <laughs> about me, about me ostensibly being a murderer. I don't know. I, I can't stop it. And the more I try to stop it, the worse I look. But we're just going to have to be okay with that. It's, <laughs> it's just good, clean fun. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't really have a call to action uh, we, we really appreciate the iTunes reviews that we have gotten and if you can tell some friends especially here at the beginning of a, at the beginning of a book um, this is always a, a big time for us as people hop on and listen and especially now that the trailer is out if you have people saying oh I wonder what the Dark Tower is all about point them to the books first because the show doesn't make sense without them but say hey there are these hopefully fun people that uh, that talk about this uh, your word of mouth uh, is the only way that we really can grow and uh you know, get more listeners aside from mentioning it on other shows, which only goes so far. It is entirely in your hands, pretty much. So um, stick around after this for some short impressions of that Dark Tower trailer uh, that was released today as of the day we we're recording. Um, some of these takes might be uh, might be cold by the time you hear this, but uh, it's important that we talk about it anyway. Talk about it anyway. Um, but uh, if you're not going to stick around for that until next time, um, long days and pleasant nights. Okay, um, so let's talk about this trailer, uh, if you guys have a couple of minutes. I, I don't have very strong opinions about it, mostly because I don't think trailers are very representative of the things 
that are in them. I uh, the, mo- the yeah. most the the the, the most um, notable things that I've done, like I've I've gone in and like done frame by frame to see what is kind of hidden around in the background. Um, and I posted some stuff on Twitter. I just literally want to see what stuff from which books is represented. Uh, but I imagine both of you might have might have more conclusive thoughts than I do on this thing. Evan, you you, you cut it. I want to I want to hear your kind of initial impressions. I I honestly don't have anything more concrete than you do, but um, my my biggest takeaways are they are definitely doing something different from the books, which they've kind of hinted at. Like it seems like this is going to be the, for lack of a better term, like the cycle after the one represented in the books, which is just such a cool idea, and I'm so excited mm-hmm. about seeing how they do it. Um. And I love Idris Elba as Roland, and I don't feel like we really saw enough of Matthew McConaughey no. to tell if I like him as Walter or not. I want him to be a ham. I want him to be dancing around and stuff. Yeah. Um, but what I wish that I had was would, would just be like a, a five to seven second gif of just the two shots of the the bullet reloading trick. <laughs> which one because there are two of them no, I, that's what i mean like yeah. just just both of those back to back because they're so cool <laughs> and it's like yep that's that's correct that is that is that is historically accurate <laughs> and uh <laughs> I, I love it so much and i've i've watched the trailer like two or three times and i've like skipped to those spots probably mm-hmm. a dozen times um, people in the Slack were um, ready to revolt over the one reloading trick where he throws the bullets up and then swings the gun around into them. Like that, <sighs> that was uh, um, that was not received very well. And people like so, and, and it doesn't help that that was released out of context um, before that. So like that was released in uh, um, a, a tweets by Idris Elba and by Matthew McConaughey. Like, hey, the trailer's coming tomorrow. Here's a, here's a, here's a teaser for the trailer, which is absurd. People didn't much care for that when they saw the one where he uh, just kind of slips the uh, slips the bullets into the rotating uh, into the rotating cylinder. People got a little bit more a little bit more comfortable with it. I'm I'm literally oh, yeah. just reporting. I I mean, all of it's ridiculous, so it doesn't really matter too much to me. <laughs> um, but um, yeah. That I'm, I'm I'm just reporting what the uh, what the general consensus was. Yeah, like it's it's kind of cheesy and hokey, but like so is Stephen King sometimes. Yeah, and I I actually kind of loved that they just went all in, <laughs> and I'm I was glad that that's not like they're not leaning on that, but it's like you know let's let's just do something fucking stupid. <laughs> like, and there, there's a lot of of really cool looking action stuff, and there's a lot of shots that make no sense at all coming <laughs> from the perspective of knowing the books. Yeah. And, um, well, what's, this, a, this trailer, what's a shot that makes no sense at all? Like, can you give an example of one that you like, saw? Like Roland and Jake stumbling around New York. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that didn't happen. Yeah. That's not, that's not a thing. It's, it, it seems like it's a part of the, a part of them trying to put Jake more at the center of it as a viewpoint character yeah. because Roland isn't really that, um, relatable. Right. Yeah, which I, I don't know how I feel about that, and I won't until I see how they do it. Right. But I, in general, the the trailer just served to get me more curious about how they're doing the movies. Yeah. Autumn, I want to hear what you thought. Um, I 
I, I definitely have an open mind on it. I mean, you, you kind of fall into that trap, and I've tried to be a more mature viewer when it comes to books that are being reimagined as movies, because uh, it, it, it does. It saps all of your enjoyment out of it. I mean, we would all love to see a frame-by-frame frame remake of where they say every line that's in the book, every <laughs> single thing. And uh, the movies aren't conducive to that. Like, I, I, I really, um, I think... When I watched Ender's Game, I created disappointment for myself that didn't need to be there. Because, again, of course, they can't have every single sentence in the book represented on the screen. I, I think what I was most intrigued by in the trailer, because um, and I, I don't want to get spoilery for the rest of the series, but making it more about Stephen King's universe. Like, I think we saw the hotel from The Shining in there. We yeah. saw references to it and so on especially with the Castle Rock television series that's coming out that's produced by J.J. Abrams sometime probably in 2018. Mm -hmm. Making it about Stephen King's universe and everything, I think, might make it a little bit more cohesive. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they kind of put a, like, uh, did a shot across the bow when they released the, the picture of the horn um, and the promotional materials uh, for mm -hmm. the, the early the early stuff before we saw the trailer. I mean, everything is, is fair game. Mm -hmm. my, I think my concern was they, they seem to be making the man in black into less of a catalyst and more of a villain or mm -hmm. someone to fight against, which probably makes sense for the movie. But the man in black's role is so important in the gunslinger. But as you find out in the rest of the series, I mean, I mean, yeah, we just burned Walter's jawbone, but <laughs> it, it, he's not quite that type of, um, yeah, He's a villain. He's a bum hug. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, well, well stated. But I, I, I'm really <laughs> hopeful for it, and I, I'm willing to forgive a lot. Um, because again, I'm obviously going to know the books pretty well, having reread them all so quickly, like right before <laughs> the release date in August of 2017. But uh, I, I'm, I'm willing to suspend some disbelief, and I'm, I'm willing to give it a very fair go. But I, I oh, I do yeah. hope that they're going to kind of dovetail that Castle Rock series into it a little bit. <laughs> It, I mean, so like yeah. what they're setting up is almost a uh, like a Stephen King ext extended universe or cinematic universe, which that's what the Dark Tower is. Like I, the I'm case, the KCU. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, the King Cinematic Universe. Um, I'm I'm totally cool with that. Like like that shot of the Overlook. Um, you know, they're like there, there is a connection. You'll notice in the main body of this episode, I, I call the touch the shine. Well, like yeah, the touch is just the shining. <laughs> you know like so something that would link those two together maybe i think that well that that, that is actually going to be a functional example because if you compare how successful the stanley kubrick adaptation of the shining was to the uh um the stephen king one you know the like the miniseries one of them is an iconic piece of cinema that will live forever um kind of a little bit because of the ways it, it digresses because it adapted it better to film certain character decisions, uh, you know, aside the things that really, really upset Stephen King. Like there's no point in just doing a straight up adaptation, capture the spirit and show it. If there's anything that I'm worried about, um, it's, I don't know what the overall scope of the story is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, what, what they're going to be going toward. And that is why I'm like paying extra special attention to like what elements from which books they're bringing in. There are characters on the cast list um, that are not present until like a fairly meaty portion of book seven, you know? Yeah. And, you know, like ever, ever since they, they released or Idris Elba tweeted the picture of the horn, like it's kind of 
been public knowledge that anything goes. Right, right. Like that's that was like pretty much the coolest <laughs> teaser that they could have possibly released. Yeah. Well, and and, it's it's uh, also a signal that is that is only for fans who have completed the series and and, and right that right exactly. Right. Yeah. But uh, it, I'm I don't know I I feel like I feel like it could be so cool in so many different ways, and I just hope that it is. Yeah, yeah. That's um, that's where I'm at. Yeah. One of the so I've I've got I've got two more things. So when, when we talk about whether or not Walter in the man of black is the ultimate villain of this, I was heartened to see, you know, just like it's a blink and you miss it shot of Walter walking by and knocking on a wall that has uh, all hail the crimson King graffitied onto it. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. at, at least that is in there. I really don't want to lose the crimson King. Um, I, I think that is a, that is a really cool part of, uh, of this cosmology. Um, one thing that does worry me, though, is like there's a line, and this could be out of context, where it seems like Jake is trying to convince Roland that it is worth trying to save the tower. Yeah, that was my <laughs> big concern. It's like, if, if the tower collapses, billions of people will die. It's like, wait, no. wait, what? <laughs> so, like, so, so Roland's motive isn't just to save the tower; it is to climb to the top and see and, and see what is there. Saving it from the people who are trying to tear it down is, you know kind of a knock-on effect of that like it is his duty as a gunslinger as compared to his personal vendetta to actually see this thing that he has quested for and sacrificed so much for realized um it is bizarre for roland to be presented as this like reluctant savior when he is anything but he is a completely enthusiastic savior who brings who <laughs> brings reluctant people in his wake and is willing to sacrifice them until they until they go you know like until he has nothing left that, like, that 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 is that seems like a fundamental change to his character again in the context that this was presented you know like that could just be a way that they you know cut the dialogue to make the stakes seem real you know yeah i guess my my hope when i saw that is that they they kind of make it a little bit self aware and if they if they do kind of make some fundamental changes to roland's character they reference it somehow yeah like they they reference that like you know like R- Roland has done this before but not like this and not as this Roland right yeah so any final thoughts like any any details that we missed any you know things that you're hoping to see uh when we get to this because like that's what well, we're 3 months away from it um and for people who are listening we are going to do an episode um about the about the movie as soon as we can after it comes out um and that'll be we, that'll be part of the extended break between um the wastelands and wizard and glass can we do a meetup for uh the midnight release and do a, a live broadcast from the the theater <laughs> um that's the, the, the that's a little bit further out but maybe do like a do, do like a midwest region yeah I, well i use, I, I, use some of those I, patreon I, dollars as, Fly as us long all to as one we place. As long as we all dress up like characters, I don't see a problem with that. We got to mm. all dress up for the for the midnight showing. Yeah. Huh, I'd but, have to think. Uh, I don't know. We're all just going to show up dressed as Frankenfurter and then it's just <laughs> <laughs> it'll just but, be a mess. But, but like mid- midnight showings are bullshit now. They happen at like 7 p.m. on the Thursday before. So yeah, yeah. it's that is true. <laughs> I, I kind of love that, actually, as an adult with a child and a job. Oh, absolutely. It's great. 
it's it's it's, bu- it's bullshit in a good way. Um, but uh, same question still stands for both of you. Any details from the trailer that we that we didn't address that uh, that stuck out to you or things that you would like to see? Uh, Autumn, um, n- not for me. Uh, I'm just ooh, I'm 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 excited. I'm ready to see it now. Yeah. They could release it next week. I'm there. Yep. Um, Evan, how about you? Yeah, I, the only thing that I would like to see is more. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like <laughs> this, this has me. I, I don't I don't quite know if it has me excited, if that's the right word, but it definitely has me drawn in. I'm I'm very curious. Yeah. Um, I got goosebumps at I kill with my heart. That whole yeah. that whole extended yeah. sequence when he's lining up the like the crazy trick shot uh, was just oh. amazing. We we skipped the most badass line in maybe the entire series. Oh, you're gonna love which, Earth, <laughs> which is Susanna's uh, "I kill with my heart, motherfucker." Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> we totally did, uh, but we, we didn't. We, we put it in the episode. That. Yeah. Okay. It's here now. Don't worry. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> that was a close one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but i got goosebumps at it like you me like that yeah. is like that isn't affecting i didn't expect it to to be as powerful when spoken out loud um as it uh as it was there but um yep yeah, give me more yeah give me yeah. more please that yeah, whole sequence is killing it yeah yeah. Great. yeah i'm i was i was excited about the casting and i am even more enthusiastic about it after seeing it yeah in in like the intended context mm-hmm Oh, we also got that short little uh, that, that short little bit of uh, Stephen Deshane as well when he mentions uh, he's forgotten the face of his father. Uh, so there are going to be flashback sections too. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, this is the first time I've really done this close of a read. I realized I'm a I'm a dork for three things. I'm a dork for Silent Hill. I'm a dork for Dark Souls, and I'm a dork for the Dark Tower. And that is that is fine. I feel I feel good about that. I'm like today is t- today is a good day to to be excited about these things for as much as people might not be too crazy about the trailer because that's the way the internet works. Yeah, there are worse things to be a dork about. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for sticking around after this, um, both of you, um, because I know it is it's it's late where I'm at and it's late where you guys are at. We had another long recording session, even though we didn't intend to. Um, I don't know how to end this when we're after the music, so. Um, Bear down. <laughs> for for midterms? <laughs> okay. You you I, can thank our sponsor, Cinnabon, right? Uh, oh, no. Now we have two franchises. 